All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here once again in the blockhouse with Kelly. How's it going, Kelly? This microphone smells like an like an auto parts store. Or it's me. Or it's this room. Is the blockhouse actually an auto parts store? That's confidential. That's so weird. It's nice that it's not hot in here, though. It's a cool auto parts store. Yeah. So we're recording in August, and it is it. A beautiful 58 degrees outside. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Global warming's such a hoax. What a hoax. <laughs> <laughs> so Kelly, this week has been um, has been the true break. Finally in the summer, we set records out here in Oregon, 90 degree days and, and over um, since the beginning of the state. So not great. But uh, how was this final week of summer? I'm calling it. Final week of summer. <laughs> summer it's, uh, is over. Oh, it's over. I can't wait. Bring on scary movies mm-hmm. and fall colors and layers. I'm ready for it. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to keep going too. I'm ready to keep uh, getting involved with everybody out there. We've gotten a lot of a lot of emails actually. A lot of people uh, have been reaching out, which is really great. And I encourage everybody to do that. We have. Uh, you can not only tweet us at SOTWPod, uh, Facebook as well, SOTWPod everywhere, but you can also email us. We do have an email, SOTWPod at gmail.com. Um, and a couple of you have emailed me. I, I didn't put this on the podcast because at first I just I addressed it on Twitter first. But I do want to say um, I love being wrong about stuff. So uh, on, te- on uh, Tell Old Bill. All I can hear is Dave Van Rock. Tell Bill. Yes, exactly. Well, you've said that before. So that, I think, will be your Tell Bill takeaway. <laughs> Forget Bob Dylan. Morning, it's all... <laughs> evening. It's so good. It's so good. So he, of course, did, in fact, record it. It's on the Bootleg Series Volume 10, and it's called This Evening So Soon. So I do know that, and clearly I'll probably be getting emails about this for the rest of my life, and that's fine, because <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I really love it, and all of you guys have said really nice things along with... Uh, the correction. So I want to correct it. But it also got me thinking as to what is the purpose of this podcast. And Kelly, if you didn't know, this is a Bob Dylan podcast. We listen to a random Bob Dylan song every single week. With that comes ebbs and flows. Uh, there are moments where you're more into Dylan and you're less into Dylan. There's going to be lots of mistakes in the future. So feel free to just throw that out there. So with that being said, I do know enough and I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as The Precinct in New York City serving as the setting of the ABC series Naked City, which ran from 1958 to 1963. Which is not There are eight million stories in the Naked City. This has been one of them. What? And this week we listened to oh, Shelter yeah. from the Storm from 1975's classic. Oh, it's 60-something. Are we on 70? Oh, my God. in another lifetime, one of toil and blood. When blackness was a virtue, the road was full of mud. I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. All right, Kelly, we, of course, listened to Shelter from the Storm off of Blood on the Tracks, as I just said. We spent an entire week listening to that. We listened to the alternate version. We listened to... Uh, Hard Rain from 1976, and we listened to uh, his live at Budokan in 1979. All of them are on Spotify. All of them are on our playlist that you can search for online. Kelly, how was your week with Shelter from the Storm? Um, this song is beautiful. That The uh, version that's on Blood on the Tracks is really nice. and It's just a guitar and a bass uh, and a little bit of harmonica there at the end. Uh, we listened to a couple versions, but uh, I don't know. I did kind of like the take one alternate version and i'm sure we'll talk about the versions a little bit later but that might have been my favorite one actually there's subtle differences but they are there and the mix is really interesting yes on that one but yeah um 
Yeah, we'll talk about the other ones later. They're terrible. But I like the song. The song is beautiful. The song Especially is for just being a bass guitar and a, and a harmonica. Not that Bob Dylan isn't capable of doing a lot with just a guitar and him. Uh, yeah. It's really showcased well here. And the, the lyrics are kind of nonsensical, but they're like poetically beautiful too. So I liked it. It's good. It's a good Bob Dylan week. I think it's a great Bob Dylan song too with that you can really put whatever you want with the lyrics. This is another great like... It's just kind of a universal song, but we will talk about those lyrics here in a moment because I think there's more to it than we realize. The song itself was recorded on September 17th, 1974 in five takes. Take number one is the alternate take that's on the Jerry Maguire soundtrack on Spotify, but um, as part of the New York session. So you can listen to these. Um, there's been bootlegs, you know, obviously with Bob Dylan uh, going back to the very beginning, but uh, one of the more famous bootlegs is to take that New York session and replace the ones that didn't make the cut for Blood on the Tracks because this was recorded in New York City and recorded in Minnesota. So uh, some of them have full backing band on it and some don't. It's the 50-50 perfect mix and I think it's what makes the record so phenomenal. It is it is really cool to hear you know, the alternate takes or whatever, but there is no band version of Shelter from the Storm. So this was just a New York song that he played. We don't have an alternate. Whereas like Tangled Up in Blue, we have this New York session, but he also... The version that's on Blood on the Tracks that we listen to is not just an acoustic guitar and Tony Brown playing the bass. It's a full band, you know, playing the... This This is an interesting song because um, this was part of the uh, 2000 double-disc uh, Essential Bob Dylan. That was the very first Bob Dylan record that I bought at McKay's bookstore in Manassas, Virginia. I went and I just found the Essential Bob Dylan. And uh, Tingle Up in Blue was obviously on there, but to put this song on there, on a two-disker... I think that's a pretty bold move. Because it was and, like a greatest hit. There's some kind of Yeah, it was the essential Bob Dylan. Yeah. So uh, the fact that this is a considered an essential song is pretty interesting. And it's it's a lovely song, but I don't know if I would go that far. But I certainly heard it there first and obviously fell in love with it then. It's been played 376 times total from April 18th, 1976, all the way to July 16th of, two, 20, of 2015. Uh, and obviously the Hard Rain and Budokan were within that as well. Uh, this has showed up in pop culture a lot. Uh, it was obviously all over Jerry Maguire. Mm-hmm. But it was also in, you remember Warm Bodies, the zombie movie? Oh, yeah, I saw that, actually. I theaters. think we watched it. In, yeah. Didn't the, we go to, like, the Baghdad? Baghdad, yeah. Yeah, so we we saw that. So it's in the end credits. It's also in the Bill Murray movie, St. Vincent. He is sitting in the backyard listening to it as well. Uh, it's also in the credits of Steve Jobs, the Fastbender movie that just came out. It has also been featured on Alias, Criminal Minds, Numbers, and the National Geographic miniseries Mars. Mm, Little hot dog. And, you know, I mean, the shelter from the storm part, you know, you can really take that line and put it in space, I guess. So, Kelly, let's talk about uh, the versions that we listen to, and we'll kind of incorporate the lyrics and everything like that, too. I I personally love the Blood on the Tracks version, the very first one. Mm. I love Tony Brown's roaming bass line. I think that's, like, the best part about all of this is that he just seems to just be playing around the song and never really like he has his own thing going on and i find that incredibly fascinating it's got a harmonica sort of a chorus you know mm-hmm. the song is uh is amazing and uh and i love it yeah it, i don't know it, if it's not a chorus it's definitely got a hook, the hook. Right, i guess so. that's it yeah um it's an underutilized thing i feel like just a guitar and a bass but it sounds so beautiful and done well and that's all you really need is somebody following that key with you. And as long as it's related enough, it just sounds so so good together. So I didn't really like the album version. But I think the reason I like the alternate, the take one, mm-hmm. better is because there's like these weird hidden treasures in that track. 
I was like trying really hard to listen to it. I had my headphones like had my hands pressed around my headphones trying to hear it because there's a fucking piano hidden in there. Mm. There's it sounds like strings. I don't know if he would have had orchestra instruments in the okay. So I think there's a second guitar and it's doing like on top of the bass, there's also a second guitar that's maybe just doing chords. Like when you know how the bass changes, doom, doom, doom. I think somebody's in there with a second guitar just going dun 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 like just on the guitar while he's strumming because while he changes no, like changes chords, Bob that is, while he's strumming so quickly, I, I feel like there's an extra layer behind it that does sound like strings at some point. And the the drums are really, really light, but they're in there like I don't know why they mixed it the way they did where you could I don't only know if that's the drums. Hear. You can hear his cufflinks. Oh, that's what it was. Hitting. Yeah, I was like, there's something knocking. Mm-hmm. And I even wrote in, in my notes, I was like, is he wearing like jewelry or something that's hitting the guitar? Because you hear like a knock, knock, knock sound. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so, and, and this one, uh, Clinton Highland believes was just a demo. Like, I'm, not a demo in a way that it's a demo, but like he was showing Tony Brown the song. Um, that's why it doesn't have that roaming bass line. It's just essentially Bob and a guitar. Mm-hmm. And the lyrics have the subtle differences. He was working on a sixth verse, and that's in there. Uh, it goes, now the bonds are broken, but they can't be retied by one more journey to the woods and the holes where spirits hide. It's a never ending battle for a piece that's always torn. Come in. She said, I'll give you a shelter from the storm. So he, he dropped that line from the final, you know, actual song itself. So that sixth verse was gone. Yeah. The whole thing got me thinking about, um, there's a song by tallest man on earth who we're going to see in November, uh, called shallow grave off his very first record called shallow grave. And I think it's it's well worth a listen if you've never listened to it because it's so beautiful and it starts with like the chirping of birds and he just comes in on this banjo and those birds don't go away and I love the little things like that where he might not have even been thinking about it but probably chose that version because it just works so well with the song. And even when it's over, you just hear birds chirping. And I think keeping the cufflinks, I mean, he obviously didn't put this on the record, but it just makes it better. Well, they call them uh, field recordings sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I like when people do that. Me too. There's a real artistry to being able to take sound effects and morph them in a way. Or like even in the case of Tallest, Tallest Man on Earth in this song, it just happened incidentally and it sounded good, so they kept it. But some people will intentionally go record the sound of running or record True. different things to, to integrate it into their music. And I think that's really interesting to find musicality and and things that aren't just literal instruments or voices. It doesn't make it obvious. It just feels like a natural part of it. And that's what makes, I think, the cufflink thing fun because it is noticeable enough. I'm glad you said something I I completely forgot, but I didn't definitely notice it when when it started because it starts immediately, Mm -hmm. the the clicking. And I was like, something is happening. Well, that's why they think it was a... a, He was just showing the song off, Mm -hmm. essentially. Just like, here's the song. There's also a lot of reverb on his voice. Like, it's just a weird, really weird mix. Yeah. So It might not have been... I mean, it probably wasn't mixed to you know, the standards of what he considered the final version. Because, well, if, I mean, if you're not going to get on the album, yeah. Mm. So they probably just sort of had it sitting there. And I think the charm is also that it was like, kind of like, well, just kind of, you know, sit down with a microphone and play. Yeah. Like if this guy just, because he probably went off to rewrite and rejigger some of the, the words. So it's like Tony Brown's probably listening to that mix, like trying to get the song down and probably writing that bass part, you know, yeah. trying to get it going. So I found that really interesting. That being said, we listened to some some live versions as well. <laughs> uh, you can go back to uh, shit. 
episode 26, I think. You can go back to episode 26 and listen to our review of the Bootleg Series Volume 5, the Rolling Thunder review. That Rolling Thunder review is the same Rolling Thunder that is part of Hard Rain. So that Hard Rain is the second uh, iteration of the, oh, the Rolling the Thunder review. The shittier tour version. Yeah, the one that <laughs> went through Texas on up to Colorado. So this was recorded uh, on May 23rd, 1976 at Hughes Stadium in Fort Collins. Colorado. Shout out Fort Collins. Shout out Fort Collins. Uh, this was also part of an NBC one-hour special uh, that, that aired on NBC for uh, an hour-long Bob Dylan what? Hard really? Rain special. Yeah, and it's uh, oh, been sort of buried. It got found a couple of years ago and is, is on the internet now. You can go watch that. Uh, this I don't mind this. I don't mind it because of Scarlet mm. and, and the strings. I don't mind it because I think uh, you know Rob Stoner on bass, Howard White on drums. Like it's still that Desire band is still playing with them, and that is all. The I was burned out from exhaustion, buried in the hail, poisoned in the bushes, blown out on the trail, hunted like a crocodile, ravaged in the corn. And then she said, "I'll give you shelter from the storm." And I think musically, it's wonderful. I think Bob Dylan, the way that he delivers it, is fine. It, it's very much of the Rolling Thunder time period, but he sounds so tired. They sound yes. so dead, and it yes. truly is. It's the second to last show, yes. and they and they played the final show was in uh, Salt Lake City, and it was a half empty stadium at mm-hmm. that point because they played the fucking Astrodome. I mean, like you can't just go from small clubs where there's like this energy and then try to make it some huge thing. Uh, I I did not like this version. I like. The, the song musically on the face of it I did like I liked the band I liked the noisy guitars yeah. um, I, I liked the drum it, it had a, a lot of fun energy I hated his voice because it was so monotone yeah. and like there's no variation just na 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 like it's all it is all the same but I think it's worse on Budokan that it, it makes Hard Rain's version like the greatest live version of a recording ever made because Budokan is absolutely atrocious yeah I think this reminded me a little bit of the Toad's Place recordings but his, I didn't like his voice as much at all but I do if this I think what was upsetting was like I like the actual um, record version of the song so much and to change it not that I didn't like that there's a lot of songs on Rolling Thunder that I enjoyed a lot that were completely different you know electrified mm-hmm. versions of acoustic songs but the way that he treated this song I feel like it didn't need it it didn't it wasn't appropriate like it wasn't it didn't add anything positive Also, those songs were so new. I mean, because he had just recorded Desire at that point. It hadn't even come out. I think it was out by this point of the second run of Rolling Thunder. But Blood on the Tracks is one year old. Like, these songs are so fresh and new that it seems weird that you would even... Fuck with it so much, Fuck with it so much. Because, yeah. like, we did listen to, like, With God on Our Side. Had that wonderful, like, really fast version. Yeah, that was cool. And that was amazing. And That's so much saying, of the If you could have maybe given... Awesome. The, I don't know, but I also don't like it sped up. It's just... I, know. I like the song way No, so do I. So do yeah. I. It's really... It's tough to listen to. Um, personally, as I've said a million times before, I think the best vocal of Bob Dylan is in this period right here from 74, 
even Planet Waves, like 74 to 76 is that sweet spot. Because even 78, when we're at Budokan, when we're on the world tour, those bootlegs to me are like unlistenable. And they're really, they portend to how bad the 80s are. I've never really thought of it that way, but truly 78 is like, listening to Budokan is how it feels to, to try to like make sense of those three records in the 80s, this Christian mm-hmm. period. It's so bad. He just doesn't give a fuck about anything. And it's hard to listen to. I thought for sure it was recorded in the 80s, that, that version of the song. The Budokan one? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's very... I mean, he tight connectioned all over it. It's just really, <sighs> really bad. The backup singers are just, like, offensive. They sound like uh, Halloween decorations. You know those bats? Uh-huh. Woo! Uh-huh. They, they, what? What is that? They're angry ghosts. Yeah. I don't... It's <laughs> so bad. There's nothing good about that version of the song. No, the sax the sax is oh, yeah. atrocious. The sax... The sax. <laughs> Yeah, there's just the weirdest choices to make. And and that's what makes a 78 tour. I think it's like worthy of a reexamination of some kind because uh, I've got like a huge like 78 where there's like 150 songs, you know, like all piled in, like every version of the song. And I find it really difficult to listen to because it's just too much. But there's got to be some through line. There's got to be some story there because I don't understand what they're doing. I don't understand the backup singers. I don't understand the sax. Because even the sax comes out of... Um, Street Legal from 1978. I like that record. I think that's that's the last one he does before the Christian period, and I I'm fine with it. And the sax on those songs are fine. But although you don't like the one we did, I yeah, don't I don't like when they bring in the sax. I don't like yeah. it when what's his name the guy that you like Bruce brings in a sax Bruce Springsteen. Oh oh yeah I, I don't oh, I don't like it. I and I do enjoy saxophones. I like jazz music. Mm-hmm. I just they always feel like. This is inappropriate. And I like Scott. Scott throws in his sax a lot. Yeah. But it just, I don't know, it feels so out of place in pop songs sometimes. It's just so jarring and well, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Because even uh, in a Scott song, it's constantly there, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, once it gets down to like the breakdown, it's like, bring him in. Let's yeah, just why? sax it up. And that's what happened here. There was no sax. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, in, in lieu of a harmonica, let's get this guy to play sax. Not great. No. Not great. So... In fact, what ends up happening is that the song gets degraded, but I think the song is so powerful that it doesn't it doesn't falter even with Bob Dylan's missteps. So highly recommend never listening to Budokan in general. Yes. So that's going to be a tough road when we finally get that because that is on our list. So someday we will actually have to talk about it. Hard Rain, less worse, but not great. All of his live records are just not great. Well, yeah, I mean, the I'm exhausted and my marriage is falling apart version is not going to be great. <laughs> not great. And when we get to Ronaldo and Clara, we'll probably be the next time to talk about, especially the hard rain aspects of it, because that does carry throughout the entire thing. And if you want to hear the Rolling Thunder stuff, I highly recommend going back to episode 26. Uh, that was that was a fun that was a fun one. That was sandwiched in between all the John Wesley Hardings, because next week, the week after that, I think we got the album John Wesley Harding. And before we had Saint listened Augustine. to... I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine and Dear Landlord back to back. So a weird sandwich to just like, here's Rolling Thunder. Yeah, that was it was nice, nice to hear a lot of songs though. And again, he's played this 300 times. We could have picked something from the 90s, but I'm just like... This did it get played at Toad's Place? Because I would have listened to that. probably did. And Damn. yeah, I know. It's we'll, we'll have to... We'll always strive to be better. <laughs> Suddenly I turned around and she was standing there With silver bracelets on her wrists and flowers in her hair she walked up to me so gracefully and took my crown of thorns. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. So, Kelly, I also 
we were thinking about doing uh, a narrative. Maybe you were thinking when I asked you to do that that this was going to be a, a classic murder Bob mystery. Right, or even we like, I'm getting on a train, Bob, where I got to come up with a romance that's, that's gone true. awry. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's not that. And you, I know you're a little, you know, you were trying your best to put yeah. it together. But it didn't work. I couldn't get I couldn't get there. Because the, the verses seem so disparate, but they all have the same theme wherein I'm a weary traveling man and this woman saved me. This woman was my harbor. And uh, I, I, to reduce women to just like objects that, you know, are just caregiving, nothing, not having their own identity sucks. But usually I view this from the standpoint of Bob, the narrator, is a woman. So it feels less bad because okay. I listen to every single song of his where he doesn't specifically say like, and he might even say it in here, but I still pretend it's always a lady. So a lady going out there being like a badass huntress or doing whatever she's doing in all these verses, like having a hard traveling life and coming home to her other lady is always better than that. some dude who's like, ah, isn't it great to be an adventurer? Wife who stays home alone all the time. Yes. You always come home to you. Yeah. Thank you for taking care of everything. Goodbye now. <laughs> Back on the road. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think it. I don't think there's ever a moment. It's always. It's very much an I song. Yeah. So it's that easy does to slip into it, that for me. Yeah, and I think this song. I think it's. I think it's power, and the reason why it's picked for the essentials versions and all that kind of stuff is that it is universal. It really. That feeling, that that feeling of coming back from a long travel and ha- and having somebody there who can take care of you and you know ner- whatever whatever the case may be, you know it's like you it's a universal feeling uh, and it's something that people strive for and they want and I think that the song and the way it's written and the way that it's sung it speaks to that longing and I find it amazing. I, I really think if there's a through line, it's uh, somebody who has really hates themselves. That's just constantly. Um, looking at nothing but the darkness and terribleness in the world and, and taking that into themselves and how they're worthless too. But then there's this person, this light that makes them feel okay again. And yeah. Of course you'd be drawn to that. Of course you'd like mythologize that. Yeah, totally. Well, he would mythologize it fully when we get to sad. <laughs> Sweet virgin angel. Exactly. Sweet love of my life. But this song, not so much that. But I, again, there's a lot of autobiographical stuff that you can easily read into this kind of stuff. I think the very first lines are some of the more powerful openers of Bob Dylan's entire career. Twas in another lifetime, one of toil and blood, when blackness was a virtue and the road was full of mud. I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. I mean, a creature mm-hmm. void of form, that's so good. Come in, she said, I'll give you a shelter from the storm. Yeah, taking that as like, I'm not even human anymore, the things that I've done or the, the things, things that I've, I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, and it's easy to make a one-to-one with Bob. You know, I mean, this is Bob Dylan at the height, another height of his like, womanizing, going on shows, just sleeping with everything that's walking. I mean, it's also a little bit of escapism, too. It's easier to blame it on this monster inside of me, this thing beyond my control, than take responsibility for your actions. Like, I'm just a terrible person. I can't be any better. Yeah, I think that's true. Although, uh, immediately, verse 2, he goes right into instant reflection, though. Reflection on the end of the internet. The end of the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Reflection at the end of a relationship. You know, if I pass this way again... You can rest assured I'll always do my best for her and that I give my word. In a world of steel of steel eyed death and men who are fighting to be warm, come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. I I that's like um you would expect that to almost be the final verse. He's kind of like saying he's sorry in a way. Yeah. Like I apologize. If not, if I ever get a chance to do it again, I will do it better. Right. Um and even that the world of steel eyed death and men, I love that. And fighting to be warm, I mean, that's basically saying, you know. He, I mean, you're sort of likening it to the wilderness and, you know, essentially men or women or whoever you're thinking about are just trying to be warm with somebody. I mean, that's like the drive. And, and that's even 
Bob Dylan or the narrator's drive as well. And maybe that's why he's sort of excusing that fighting to be warm for how he became, you know, the black when he thought blackness was a virtue, you know, he had an empty soul or whatever. I mean, all so, the lyrics are so like nice. They're pretty. They're very poetic. Yeah. Well, I think that's why I like the the the, the version, the, the blood on the tracks versions, the best because they don't feel formulaic. They're put into this box. Everything is exactly the same. But Bob Dylan is essentially flexing. Uh, this is a classic flex for him because everything seems to fit, but he can still do things with words that just astound you. And he can fit so much in while keeping the exact parameters that you need to have the song. That's why Budokan feels like you've, uh, you're have you showing all the strings. You know, it, it's like a magic trick when he does this on Shelter from the Storm in the 70, you know, 74 version. But when he goes to Budokan, it's basically like uh, he's a ventriloquist. He's a puppet. And, and everybody's just playing the same notes mm-hmm. over and over. And he's singing the same intonation, same tone, same everything. It is there's nothing about that song that is interesting because it's all just completely choreographed. Whereas even all songs are, and he's recording it and he's put thought into it, it still feels like vibrant and fresh and like he's doing it like truly live. I don't know. Well, that's yeah, so that's weird. actually, I'm glad you said that because I forgot. That's my favorite part about the studio version because it feels like that shallow grave moment where it's like, this is just a person in a room playing a song. Right. And it's, it happened to be recorded. It feels like a special moment. Mm-hmm. It really does. Like it got captured as opposed to was played. If that makes sense. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. And that's why, and, and you could do a lot of cool stuff with live stuff, but Budokan is, unfortunately, they should have turned the tape off when it started. <laughs> um, so then he keeps going, you know, not a word was spoke between us. There's little risk involved. I love that line. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically just talking to this person or explaining who this person is, you know, is burned out from exhaustion, buried in the hail. I mean, that's kind of, you could say that that's Bob Dylan, you know, burned out from being on the road. Well, the one before it, I think is interesting because that's the, um, that's the emotional labor of women. The emotional abuse that I may have put you through, let's just forget about that and you come take care of me again. That's true. Everything up to that point had been left unresolved. Yeah. You know, but then try, yeah. That's so, good. yeah, it's your job as my doting wife who stays home yeah. that uh, you should take care of me now. Let's forget that. I've been and that's an important point, too, is like you wouldn't get that from a first listen, but that's certainly uh, something that you would have on the next listen and the listens and the listens after. Um, but that's true. Yeah. And then uh, explaining his own. Why is he here? You know, I was burned out from exhaustion, buried in the hail, poisoned the bushes, blown out on the trail, hunted like a crocodile, random, ravaged in the corn. I love that. Question. What's it? What? Why is I, a crocodile in corn? Who knows? What does that mean? What is that a metaphor for? I don't, I don't understand. I don't really know. Now, I know a little bit about gators and crocodiles. Yeah, Just you a would. little bit. And I do not believe that they exist in a place where corn is also planted. So maybe he's trying to say, I'm a fish out of water. Oh, that's good. Like, I'm a, I'm a crocodile torn mm. up in corn. Why am I in corn? Well, I mean, Midwest, corn. Yeah, but no know, gators. I know, but he's the fish out of water. He's the croc out yeah. of water. He Maybe he's the crocodile from... Clarissa explains it all. Oh, yeah, Sam. Or maybe Clarissa. Right. Sam's the guy who comes to Right, yeah. Oh, sorry. And then Elvis was her Elvis pro- alligator. Was yes. So Elvis. Right. Maybe Bob Dylan Whoa, is Elvis. We should play that sound that it makes oh, when it comes to the window. <laughs> I will definitely find it. <laughs> and then, and then of course, uh, right in smack dab in the middle, because this song is, is perfect in a way, suddenly I turned around and she was standing there. With silver bracelets on her wrists and flowers in her hair, she walked up to me so gracefully and took my crown of thorns. Now, of course, this woman is standing, doing nothing, 
She has the silver bracelets and oh, flowers in her She's just a vessel, hair. my friend. She's a vessel. And uh, don't forget, when she walked up, she did it gracefully, of and as women do. Uh, <laughs> and then the crown of thorns, obviously, is a Jesus moment. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think, again, it, it works. And I, I love, uh, it's, it's a very um, evocative image of, of just imagining somebody walking through a literal woods and coming across somebody in the woods. And you either like know you want them or want them in that moment, or you've been looking for them. Whatever it is, it's. I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful. Um, it, like it does again with the emotional labor of women. Like I, suddenly mm-hmm. you were there to take care of me, but it does conjure um in Gladiator when when he's like having visions of his wife oh, and, and son yeah. being in the distance. Like that's mm-hmm. immediately what I thought. It was like very Roman, Grecian, whatever okay. to me, where it's just like a lady with bangles in the distance, like, oh, you're here, you're home, you're ready, let's do this. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, this can go back to the Odyssey. I mean, Odysseus's wife, you know, just waited around forever. He was gone for 20 plus years, banging his way through the world, and she <laughs> was waiting uh, there to the end, and, you know. Banging his way I think I think Bob, in a way, was like, well, yeah, you know, who doesn't want that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and then right after that, he, you know, now there's a wall between us. That's, I, I mean, Bob, end of a relationship. You yeah. know, finding walls between them. I mean, who put up the walls? Who paid for the walls? I don't know. Probably Bob Dylan. Bob, you put up the walls. You're the problem here, Bob. Yeah. Don't be talking about walls as if you weren't there for the construction of them, sir. Oh, and this could also be a follow-up to the other verse where he's like, we don't talk about the things that happen mm-hmm. to it. kind of... I don't think this is necessarily linear, like a linear No, absolutely not. And I think it's, it's going back between... This person, if there is an event in this, it is sitting down with a person, meeting the person. I mean, five is pretty much it. Like, that might be the only bit of action in this entire, in the entire song. The rest of it is kind of just like musing upon what you're doing there and what came before. Like, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I never really even thought about that. But there's not a whole lot of action beyond her saying, come in, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Right. That's kind of the only action. I mean, we get the Undertaker back from I Want to Be Your Lover. We get the feudal horn, which is a callback to I Want To. You remember that? Um, the guilty Undertaker sighs, the lonesome organ grinder cries, the silver saxophones say, I should refuse you. The cracked bells and washed out horns blow into my face with scorn, but it's not that way I wasn't born to lose you. It's interesting as a writer that when you create little worlds or little characters in your head that you will then associate with the place and time you were when you wrote them. So mm-hmm. maybe that's all it too. It's like I remember when I was having feelings for this person and this is what I was writing about then. And so now that I'm thinking about my past and thinking about how things ended up the way they are, oh, that character pops into my head because yeah, that's, totally. what, that's, that's cool. Well, and that's, again, going back to the strings, uh, which you don't want to see if you're watching a movie. I think that's why Sarah is a bad song because Sarah – blows that up when he sings fuck I, metaphors well and I was sitting in the Chelsea Hotel writing Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands for you now okay. it's fun when it happens in the song and you're like oh I get it but I think it's much more interesting when it's like Undertaker Horn you know where did I hear those before instead of the blatant fan service like uh, the meta moment you can at least like yeah. there's a little bit of imagery exactly and that's what makes Shelter from the Storm timeless and makes Sarah absolutely unlistenable except for a a, a Bob Dylan moment where you need to know more about him. You can learn a lot from that man from Sarah, as we have talked about and we'll talk about later on in this episode. And then, of course, we have him. I've heard newborn babies wailing like a morning dove. Morning dove, like a sad dove. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Old men with broken teeth stranded without love. And then I, I love this. Do I understand your question, man? Is it hopeless and forlorn? Like, who is... 
who's that to? Who is he talking yeah. to? I love that. Ooh. Or when you're in a time of need and someone's like, it doesn't get better. I'm yeah. Like, what Ooh. do you do? <laughs> well, that's a bummer. Yeah. And then, of course, we get to the little hilltop village. They gambled for my clothes. That is a reference to Jesus and his clothes being given away oh. uh, by Lot before he went off to die. Okay. Uh, I bargained for salvation, and they gave me a lethal dose. I love this online. I read a great little thing about everything in Blood on the Tracks being the lethal dose. You know, that's the dose that you take that's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Everything is just a little too much, which I think is really interesting. And again, it's Bob Dylan. He was using Bible stuff from day one all the way back in the 1960s. But when it's employed for these kind of purposes, it's great. But when you're showing the strings and hitting people over the head, it's Or not, also not. terrible. Like, it, does, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you mad at me for cheating? It's a fair point. Even like <laughs> likening yourself to Jesus is probably not a great Bold move, Bob Dylan. Bold move. But if someone's going to do it, it's you or John Lennon. So there you go. <laughs> nice. And then, of course, we end with, uh, I think it's just a breathtaking ending. I'm living in a foreign country, but I'm bound to cross the line. Beauty walks a razor's edge, someday I'll make it mine. If I could only turn back the clock to when God and her were born. Come in, she said, I'll give ya shelter from the storm. If you were setting this woman up on this pedestal, what a beautiful thing to say. What a beautiful thing to feel for somebody, even regardless of the, yeah, the, the extra context that we'll get into. It's just a very beautiful, it just feels like a little fairy tale almost. This song just feels like there are little birds chirping, even though like The Undertaker is, and I think all fairy tales have that. They have this really one-dimensional like children's story-ness of it. But then if you watch it as an adult, you really see the weird levers of power, the weird people in the woods. And you start to question even things like Beauty and the Beast and shit like that. You're like, wow, this society's are really fucked up. Wow, these people are kind of messed up. Yeah. You don't pick it up as a child, but I think this has a fairy tale element where you even have Bob Dylan as like a child almost singing about this, you know, mother figure who, you know, God and her are just, she's a goddess, blah, blah, blah. You know, everything from Sarah is basically in here. But then you have these characters, these feudal horns and this undertaker. It's like the world is still kind of a scary place. And I guess that's why you want the shelter. You know, you want to get away from it all. Mm. So. Well, who better to be taken care of than a goddess, right? That's right. That's what Lilith. You, <laughs> you mean we're, the, we're the not going to go there? We're not going to go into Lilith. A world yeah. ender or something, and is possessing our friend. <sighs> <laughs> so we talked about. So we've talked about Sarah a little bit. I mean, Sarah. That's what I mean. Sarah. Sarah. Clint Highland also sees this as the Wedding Song Part 2. Remember Wedding Song from Planet Waves? Uh, episode 5. Again, we are really going back into the vaults to talk about these songs. But you can go listen to Episode 5. The drum pattern is a little similar, too. Yeah. Thinking about it now. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and Wedding Song is not great. Uh, Clint Highland says, quote, This time, he does not explicitly state that she saved his life, as he did on Wedding Song. And that was only last year when he wrote that one. Uh, rather, describing how he was burned out from exhaustion, buried in the hail, or, as he originally wrote it, Bushwhacked on the prairie, rolled on New Year's Eve, poisoned in the orchard, buried in the leaves. That's a pretty good line, too. I kind of like that. Well, and a little more evocative of, like, this is actually about me getting drunk and fucking up. <laughs> bushwhacked on the prairie. <laughs> I want to hear Bob Dylan sing bushwhacked on a prairie. Uh, I went to Carl Porter a lot this week for Bob Dylan and philosophy. Highly recommended. That book is so damn good. Uh, he has a little take on Shelter from the Storm as well, pertaining to this. He says, uh, quote, for Dylan's narrator, it is because a love that once gave him sustenance has withdrawn from his life that he now finds himself drifting through the ruins of an empty world. As he reflects upon what he's lost, he feels as if nothing really matters much. 
Having suffered a disappointment of the most intimate kind, the speaker has developed what another existential philosopher calls the tragic sense of life. I think you can read that. You can read the desperation on Sarah, the wedding song, Desperate, Shelter from the Storm. The whole album is desperate. The whole album is trying to see past a divorce, but not wanting it to happen, but realizing that you fucked up. And I think that speaks highly to this song and the tragic sense of life. But the tragic sense of life is the problem here. Because the problem is that this podcast is here forever when it comes to Bob Dylan's critiques of society. But Bob Dylan has no solution for society. This song, in this era as well, Bob Dylan is looking for shelter from something. And this comes back to women. This comes back to how Bob Dylan sees women. And this is very much one of those times. Carl Porter has another great line, quote, the women he praises are almost always the ones who give him shelter from the storm, who are there to allow him to go someplace that is innocent and in which he can escape from the harsh realities of a competitive social world that contains deceit and injustice. But they can do that only by completely removing themselves from the modern world. The way Dylan describes them, the most active thing they do is grow their hair. True. Standing around, doing nothing. So we all want the shelter from the storm. And I think the idea of wanting a utopia, maybe not for all of society, but wanting to escape. That's why this is called Sign on the Window. There is a part of me that understands that. So it's easy to parachute out and go to the cabin in the woods. We, yeah, yeah. And I think it's, and there that's a problem for sure. Uh, and people, the cabin in the woods, uh, great movie, by the way. But also, <laughs> I think it's just a metaphorical cabin in the woods. You can go off into conspiracy theory land. You can go off into sports world. You can go off to whatever cabin suits you. And I think it's a problem when you totally disappear. And I don't know if Bob Dylan is even capable of totally disappearing. But I think it should be on your own terms. And I think when you basically make it women, just like escaping into a woman, I've done that. I've, I've thought if I can just be with somebody, all my problems will be solved oh, because yeah. you just invest yourself completely in another person and you forget all about your own self. And I think, Bob, that might be his like greatest longing in life is just to actually get away. And he's coming from a unique perspective, just the life that he leads and being an international pop star and stuff like that. So it's kind of rich and, you know, you're kind of like roll your eyes easily, but he does have a vantage point that is kind of crazy and it's a very strange uh, tale. So that being said, I'm all here for Bob Dylan and his critique of society. But as I said, I don't think Bob Dylan has a solution for society in Bob Dylan and philosophy. He does go into a book called Dream World and Catastrophe by uh, the author Susan Buck Morse. And I think this harkens back to Union Sundown a little bit, so I'm going to quote this. Quote, The construction of mass utopia was a dream of the 20th century. It was a driving ideological force of industrial modernization in both the capitalist and socialist forms. The dream was itself an immense material power that transformed the natural world, investing industrially produced objects and built environments with collective political desire. As the century closes, this was obviously written in the 1990s, the dream is being left behind. Industrial production has not itself abated. Consumerism, far from being on the wane, has penetrated the last socialist bastion of mainland China to become arguably the first global ideological form. But the mass democratic myth of industrial modernity, the belief that the industrial reshaping of the world is capable of bringing about a good society by providing material happiness for the masses, has been profoundly challenged. 
that idea is coming back around again, oh, yeah. uh, especially in you know democratic socialism. Like we're talking about that, it's still very much up in the air. But at that time, especially when the Soviet Union fell and the millennium was changing, people were certainly seeing it uh, a certain way. Wanting to escape from all of that makes sense. Take shelter from the storm, but when it starts getting grouped into the fantasies about women, that's when I think anybody should have a problem. Uh, but I think it's also really important to acknowledge that this is what it's about because. I think people listen to this and just skip right over Bob Dylan and, and these ideas or don't adopt it. I find that to be a problem in society at large. Like people can't keep two concepts in their head. head yeah. And I find it really hard because like this song is really good, but I think what makes it even better is that there is really great criticism about it. There's really great thought uh, about the way that this song works and the way that this song talks about the world at large, talks about male desires, Bob Dylan's desires, and the role of women and what women are expected to do, especially living in a world now where you have people out there that are advocating sort of a woman that is like this, just sitting, shelter from the storm, putting up on a pedestal, blah, 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 blah. I think it's it's a weird song to listen to in 2018. It's a weird song to listen to in the world that we live. But I think it's important to talk about. And I was reading articles today about um, like women listening to songs, not not so much like this, but just rock songs in general that are incredibly misogynistic and say terrible things about uh, women and minorities and stuff like that, but yet they still love it. You know, they still listen to it, sing along with it. Uh, maybe they'll just do it when they're drunk and karaokeing or whatever, but it's still like such a fabric. It's such a part of your life. Or you grow up in a culture like, I mean, I imagine girls listening to hardcore and stuff like that. That's a tough ride. Oh, yeah. I because mean, I remember me as a 15-year-old kid, I would have been, you know, probably super gross you know just like a dumb teenage boy but then as you grow up you're like really aggressive those places are really aggressive to be yeah. and especially aggressive to women so it's just weird to listen to that and think about that well imagine if you will having all those same conflicting feelings being a 15 year old boy having all these terrible things go on around you but not realize that this is like systemic societal problem and not creating safe spaces for women it's really easy to point out in rap i feel like because they're so straightforward about yeah, it true. like women are terrible or women are dogs or just objects or whatever. And that's why, I mean, a healthy dose of racism, but it's easy to point to that. But it, yeah, it's everywhere. It's rock. It's, it's all, all ver pop song. It, it's everywhere. The, the foul treatment of women. But can you imagine being that person who is inundated in their culture and then, but also being a woman yourself, you're like, Oh, women are terrible. Wait, I'm a woman. Let's not think about that for 10 years. Yeah. Women are terrible. <laughs> I feel like we're getting personal. Here, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a disease. I mean, it really yeah. is. I mean, this is not an original thought, and take this with a grain of salt, but I think that everybody in America society, at least, is, is born sexist and racist. We're born into a sexist and racist system. It's your job to do better. It's your job to educate yourself and try to do better every day. Yeah. Because we are born into a society that is slanted towards white men. And we just, you have to, to question stuff. Just fucking things we've brought up many times daniel many your times. favorite thing think critically <laughs> just yes. use critical thought and question the stuff around you absolutely but i think even in, in as it pertains to this song i think what's important to critically look at is we still have not taken we, we can see where somebody is like smacking somebody hitting somebody emotionally abusive to somebody we're like that's bad right i think we we're all at that point like eh, that's probably not a good look but i think putting someone on a pedestal like this is also one of those, yeah, it's not really a good look. Oh, yeah. And that's something that I think is happens much more often 
um, especially in like casual relationships and with young people. I've certainly done that myself, putting people up on pedestals. It makes them non-human. Yep. You treat them not as human beings, but as an object to covet. And even here, you know, when he says, uh, what was it? Beauty walks the razor's edge. Someday I'll make it mine. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is that is such a beautiful line. But like the idea that it walks the razor's edge and that he can possess it. I will make beauty, all of beauty, mine. Powerful shit. But that is exactly what I'm talking about. Well, that's that the edge. The like, once you're outside of that box, once you become a, a person, you have any kind of flaw or are outside the purview of this design that you set up, and you fall off that edge. Well, now, now you're not beautiful anymore. Now you're not a yeah. thing to be desired. That's a great point. Great point. Final thought, I think, for me at least, this does not diminish even a critical thinking and a talk like that. does not diminish that this song is a classic. This song is a masterpiece. This song makes up arguably Bob Dylan's greatest achievement of his entire life. And I think the first time you listen to this song, you're going to listen to it and it's going to be beautiful. You're going to drift in and out. You're going to imagine yourself in the woods. Uh, you're going to come across warmth and understanding, love, and you're going to want that. And you're going to you're gonna feel it and you're going to love this song. And then the second time you listen, you're going to start to see that just like the illusions that Bob Dylan is trying to get away from, he himself is creating an illusion and then you're going to listen to it again and you're going to start to see the strings and, and really marvel at how they're hidden and how perfect it's all put together. You're going to see the blueprint, the architecture that Bob Dylan is so famous for. Then you're going to listen to, get to it again with blood on the tracks and you're going to see something shift in you where you start to understand where it fits in Bob Dylan's life, in his entire oeuvre, everything. And then you're going to listen one more time and then you've made it. Because now you have two, <laughs> you have two competing ideas in your head and it's okay. That's okay. It's a complicated song from a complicated artist, and it's okay. And 65 episodes in, I think we're going to be talking about that a lot more. Yeah. And if you find yourself unable to keep two competing thoughts and still like be able to rationally talk about it, I think that's something you should really think about in the future. Take some time. Spend with yourself. Explore anything that makes you uncomfortable or angry. Yes. Figure out why it does that. And then try to continue to be a good person. Because... Mm-hmm. Thought is just that. It's free and you can do it anytime you want to. And you can, you can think go, bad stuff and that's okay. Yeah, you can go as deep and far as you want to. But as long as you try to keep your moral center of what you, you like and try to be better, just try to do better. And as we said that every before, day. there is always a line, my friends, and the line is Nazis. The line is always fucking Nazis. It's always Nazis. So when you find yourself <laughs> at the razor's edge, you got to pull back. Just pull back. Because the world is not black and white, but some things are. And that line, of course, is Nazis. It is Nazis. <laughs> All right, Kelly, we were people in the world this week. Shelter from the Storm, I loved it. I loved thinking about it like this. I loved reading about it. But we also did other stuff in the world as summer has broken. You remember when we took a took a water ride into summer? You remember that? Oh, my God, the Lazy River into summer? Lazy River, fun time into summer. <laughs> fun times. I think it was Lazy River, fun time, slide into summer. Slide into summer. There you go. Ah, we yeah. didn't. We had no such slide into autumn. I guess we're not technically in autumn yet, so it's still summer. We're enjoying it. But, Kelly, what else were you doing this week that you would recommend to our our lovely listeners. Uh, I just finished Fargo season one, as you know, and it was pretty good. I mean, my perennial want is more women. Why aren't there more women? But at least, unlike, yeah, unlike Breaking Bad, uh, there was a woman who was a full character and had like was a, a great person and was like the driving force of the show. Um, so yeah, it was good, and I'm, I'm curious to watch the next season. I didn't realize it was an antholo- like an anthology until he told me. So it's cool to see, even if it's like loosely related to the first season, it's still a whole new story. Yeah, um, and then. Music-wise, um, there's a series, uh, I guess it's a record label. The record label is called Late 
or Nighttime Stories Limited, but they do a series called Late Night Tales. Um, and I've known about it since 2013, kind of, because Bonobo has a Late Night Tales album. I never really thought beyond that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a whole record label. This guy is started by A.W. Wilde, who's a British author, and he it's supposed to be the perfect nighttime, the ultimate nighttime mix um, that, that would help you write. So basically what he does since 2001 is he picks an artist or the, the record label or the forces behind it, pick, and, pick an artist and say, hey, make your perfect mixtape. And the rules are any artist, any song you want to do that I'm sure they can afford or get or whatever, you know. Um, and then you also have to do a cover of a song that you want to cover. So every album, with the exception of a couple, have uh, a whole, like, 15 tracks of, of random things they've picked, a cover version of whatever the artist wanted to pick. And then the last track, starting with... Um, it used to be called Another Late Night. That was the first three or four compilations called Another Late Night, and then moved to Late Night Tales. And there's almost 30-something of them now. Wow. Um, the very last track is a story. It's a spoken word, uh, and it has famous British people reading the story. Like Benedict Cumberbatch did oh, one. Wow. He does the one on the Bonobo um, album, which Sweet. is... Yeah, so it's... It's really fucking cool, and it's mostly people in the like the electronic music, but not always. Like the Flaming Lips did one, uh-huh. um, and so I've just been kind of going through the catalog. I never went into it. I don't know why it, I decided to this week. I was like, I really like this album of Bonobos. <laughs> it seems logical that I would explore it, but I just never even thought. I don't know. I thought it was maybe his idea. Like Bonobo was like, oh, maybe I'll yeah. do this weird thing. Um, I know Benedict Cumberbatch. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so it's been it's been really really cool. Um, there's also a, an Icelandic artist, Oliver something. I came across him. He ended up on our playlist mm-hmm. uh, because I was looking through Revolution Hall. We're going to go there to see a couple shows. And I was going through their calendar, and he's playing in January. I was like, fuck, that's booked way out. I wonder why this guy must be a big deal. Come to find out, the dude has a Late Night Tales album, and he's this beautiful, traditional like pianist composer mm-hmm. from Iceland. Man, they make some crazy good music there. Anyway, Late Night Tales. Um, there's a bunch of different artists. Uh, Wax Taylors. uh or Nightmares on Wax, Wax sorry. There's just a ton that, that have done it, and it, they're all cool. It, and it's really neat to see what a, an artist you like likes to listen to, what they mm-hmm. think of like a sequencing an album and just all kinds of stuff. See, that's rad. Yeah. I mean, we do that every week. It's really fun yeah, to think Yeah, to make a playlist. If someone else is doing it, yeah. And that there's a whole record label dedicated to doing that. So. Badass. Speaking yeah. of playlists, we I have to recommend <laughs> our playlist. <laughs> I love our playlist. It's good. I like that you added the little rain sounds in between tracks ahead of us. Hey, hey. If you haven't listened to our playlist, you can find it at um, on Spotify. Just search, see that my playlist is kept clean. Uh, that'll change every single week as we pick a new song. So it is there currently. But if you're listening to this not in August of 2018, it's gone. But it is <laughs> at our website, SOTW Pod. I, I saved them all. So feel free to go look. And, uh, you know, while you're listening to these podcasts, listen to our playlist. We put a lot of effort into it and we try to... We try to give you a sense of like kind of the music that we like and, you know, whatever. But I really enjoy this. I love the rain sounds. You know, the storm stuff was pretty good. I want to welcome back to the playlist, CCR. I know. I was just going to say, I was like almost tearing up listening to that song. God, it's so fucking it's a good. good song. I know, and that's where they think you got that. Shelter from the storm. storm. Idea from uh, Gnarls Barkley, back. That, I never listened to it. It's great. Oh, fantastic. The Doors, of course. Had to put I mean, right that was, the storm. Come on. Uh, and I, that's where I got the idea for the rain because yeah. that's perfect. Uh, Rolling Stones, Deer Tick. A lot of dispute. Frank Turner, uh, Kelly Uches, and Tyler the Creator all have been on the podcast before. Welcome to the podcast to Florence and the Machine. Uh, Oliver Arnold's. That's who you're thinking. There of. you go. Yeah. Mob Deep. Uh, Cadillaca. Yeah. Uh, Corin Tucker's side project during Slater Kinney, which if you listen to our Slater Kinney episodes, you know all about that. Very fun. And Ray Lamontag, of course. Shelter. Man, that that Shelter album was a 
banger back in the day. Great song. He has a great voice. I was on the edge with that song. You were on the edge. Sometimes I liked it. Razor Edge. You were. I was on. I was on the edge of beauty. The Razor's Edge of Beauty. Anyways, I highly recommend that. Uh, the other things I would recommend, as we are recording this on a Saturday, Friday, uh, saw the release of Murder by Death, The Other Shore. Mm-hmm. Murder by Death, one of my favorite bands. Uh, and it's really good. I really I really like it. It's better than Big Dark Love, which was their last record. Not as good as Bitter Drink, Bitter Moon from 2011. Me Without You released an EP. Okay. Um, they're, doing a, they're doing a tour, so I might try to check that out when they come back to Portland. I, I've seen them. Are we going to Los Campesinos? Sorry. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, I'm still up in the air for that. But I saw Me Without You in 2014 with Touche Amore, and that was amazing. So, And then uh, Death Cab for Cutie last week came out with a new record called How was Thank it? You for Today. I wasn't doing it. My Death Cab for Cutie rankings. Number one, Transatlanticism. <laughs> <laughs> number two, Plans. Number three, The Photo Album. Number four, Something About Airplanes. And we have the facts and we're voting yes. Number five, Narrow Stairs. Number six, uh, Kintsugi, which was their 2015 album. Oh, shit, yeah. So we're getting down there. Number seven, thank you for today. And number eight, Codes and Keys. Sorry, Codes and Keys. Not great. Uh, they're, but they're, like, really competent. And Ben is is not a bad songwriter by any means. And I think, like, Transatlanticism and Plans are so good that he's, he's good for life. Like, I think whatever he puts out is always going to be tangentially um, important and, like, good to listen to. Like, he's going to make good music. I don't know how vital it is. I don't know how important it is for Death Cat for Cutie to exist. Right. Yeah. But that's a rude thing to say. It is, and, and like it's always subjective. It. And yeah, it is because people love this band, love them to death, and right. I just don't have that super connection to them. But I definitely appreciate what they've done and what they do. And, and Ben, write all the music you want. I, I mean, I have some of his lyrics tattooed on my body, exactly. as we all know. And but I think it's... that's a reason alone to be like, do you forever, yeah. and I love it. And if you love Death Cab and that's your vehicle, go for it. But we all want Postal Surface Part 2. That's, I mean, that's what I want. That's all we want. <laughs> and then finally, two more things. Martha, the band Martha, they're just a, like a delight. Uh, according Song 2014, Blisters uh, in the Pit of My Heart 2016. They have a new EP out called The Winter Allowance Ineligibility Blues. Uh, it's only two songs, but hopefully a new record from them. And finally, because I'm like everyone else in the world, ContraPoints, YouTube. <laughs> Seriously, one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. And if you want to like really get good. down with some of the shit that we're talking about and just, uh, I don't know, expand your horizons. Uh, I got to say, it's incredibly accessible for somebody who might not know a lot about uh, LGBT issues or vernaculars or, um, I mean, it's really, like, it's a trans woman exploring the ideas of like the alt-right, but also just like the society at large. It's so accessible. You're never going to feel like you don't know enough because she explains it enough. And and uh, it's just really poignant and really necessary. Right she now. doesn't she doesn't shy away from hard arguments because sometimes if you build up a straw man, you might lob a couple easy ones, the obvious questions back at him. But she does go into kind of the questions that cut pretty deep. Even the questions where if even if you agree with the other side of the debate, you have to be like, well, that's a good question. That's a good... Like, normally, if you just want to put up a video and win a debate, you're not going to add that question because it's right. too complicated to do. But she just sidesteps, sidesteps them and answers them with just flawless ease. She's someone who can Elegant, put two ideas in her head at the same time. That's her fucking sure. Absolutely. And um, so, fantastic. Uh, Natalie Wynn, I think, is her name. So, I... Follow her on Twitter now, and it's fantastic. So follow that, follow us, you know, do all that kind of stuff. We're a real podcast, SOTW Pod, everywhere. Kelly, let's go ahead and pick next week's song. That's what we're all waiting for. That's really what we're all waiting for. And so if you've skipped all the way to here. <laughs> don't care what you're listening to, don't care about your lives, and we're here. The song, and you made here. it.
All right, so Shelter from the Storm is going to be deleted, my friends. See you later. All right, Kelly, we are down to 445 songs. What you got? Is that lower than last week? I mean, I know it's one lower. Then you've answered your question. <laughs> one out of 445. Uh, I always guess the same number somehow. 298. Ooh, nice. 298? The correct answer was 230. I like to go with 200. It feels nice in the middle Right in the middle. Okay, we would have had a basement tape song. All you have to do is dream. Uh, we have a promised, someday, basement tape supplemental series that we are definitely working on. Um, but thankfully, we don't have to think about that for another week because that wasn't the right answer. 230, Kelly. <sighs> We're going to be listening to an album next week. And it's not an album anybody wants to listen to. Cool. We're going back to 1985. No! We're going to Empire Burlesque, no! the entire album. Oh, my God. Tight connection no, to my heart. I just heart. did this. All right, so we're going to be doing the whole thing. Really? Man, Dark Eyes uh, closing is pretty good. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a dumpster fire. All right, so next week there won't be a playlist. We're just going to be doing Empire Burlesque, so that does make it a little easier for us. But then again, we have to listen to Empire Burlesque, so it's easy for no one. Man. Well, we'll see you next week. Empire Burlesque, Kelly. Thank you for listening. Goodbye from Shelter from the Storm. We will have no storm. We will have no shelter. (laughs) We will have no storm. We will have only storm. We will have no shelter from Empire Burlesque. Ain't you supposed to be? Just stone